This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Churches belong to God, but he doesn't seem to care about them. It's Don't Look Now, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books or short stories in this instance. It's spooky season. It's a listener request. It's Don't Look Now. We have every one of our segments, so we're just going to get right into it. In case you haven't seen or read and need a little bit of a primer, let's sum it up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Following the tragic death of their young daughter, married couple John and Laura are spending time in Venice. They meet a pair of elderly sisters, one of whom is blind. They reveal to Laura that the blind sister is also psychic and that she saw their daughter sitting by them and that she was happy. Laura is overcome with joy by this revelation. John is suspicious of the sister's intentions, but initially humors Laura because he likes seeing her happy. The sisters eventually pass another message on to Laura, that the couple should leave Venice immediately because something bad is going to happen. They also tell her that John also has the gift of second sight. Shortly after, the couple receives a message that their young son, back at school in England, has had a medical emergency. Laura leaves for England that same day. However, shortly after seeing her off, John sees what he thinks is Laura on another boat, accompanied by the sisters. This sends him into a panic, thinking that they had ill intentions after all and could be taking advantage of Laura's grief. John goes to the police in an effort to track them down. However, he later receives a call from England and is surprised to hear Laura's voice. He then gets word that the police located the sisters and took them into custody. John is forced to backtrack on everything he said while apologizing profusely. While heading back to his hotel, John sees what he thinks is a small child running in fear from something. John chases her down to try and help, but it is revealed that it's not a child at all, but an old woman with dwarfism who is also a murderer who has been on the loose in Venice. She murders John, and as he dies, he realizes that he didn't see Laura on the boat. He had a vision of her attending his future funeral. All right, you are now caught up in case you missed the film or the short story. I have so many questions, <laughs> so let's get into it in... And the book. Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right. So, uh, a lot of this movie is symbolism and metaphor, uh, and I have a lot of questions about. Uh, many of my questions are about um, how much of that comes from the story versus how much of that was, you know, 
created for the film mm-hmm. uh, because this this movie is very interesting. Uh, you have a note about it later, but it it's very it reminded us both a lot of like Solaris mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the vibe, the overall feel. Yes, the seventies uh, vibe. The whole seventies of it. Um, <laughs> it's very much. It's very. It's it's in a similar vein. Uh, of the kind of pace and mm-hmm. and everything, um, and it's, it's similar in the sense that a lot of it is, like I said, very symbolic, very uh, allegorical, metaphorical, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I want to know how much of that comes from the story. So, first up, and this isn't less metaphor and more, just it was the first thing that I found creepy in the movie. Uh, we were introduced to our characters uh, in England. Uh, John is um, looking at some pictures, some slides from a church. And in one of the slides, he sees this woman in a, or this person in a red hood, a red jacket sitting in one of the pews. Uh, we don't know yet, but we're, we eventually would come to assume that this is the church that he will be going to, to work on later in the film. They've sent him pictures for research or whatever. Uh, and meanwhile, we're cutting back and forth with uh, his daughter playing outside, his, both of his children playing outside, his son and his daughter playing outside, and the daughter is wearing a red raincoat that looks very similar to this character in the picture. And this this also is it's not lost on John. He notices this strange similarity and is intrigued by this character in the pew. Uh, and I want to know if that, and that was the first thing that's, I found it very subtly creepy very quickly. It's a fun little, like, immediately, like, okay, something's weird's going on. Uh, and I want to know if that that scene with the picture and him and the parallel to his daughter in the red coat comes from the book. Well, the same character does wear a hooded red coat in the book, but we don't see a picture of that person in the church. Okay. And does his daughter wear a red raincoat, or is that mentioned at all? It's not mentioned. Okay. All right. Um, so no. So essentially no, other than the the character that, that is in the picture does wear a red coat. Yes. Okay. Or at least the character we are to assume that is in the picture. There's no confirmation. Yeah, there's no confirmation se, of that, but it is the it exact is, same yeah. coat. It's a very specific type of hood called a pixie hood. Okay. That has like the point at the top. Yes. I know that because in the story, they call it a pixie hood. There you go. Every single time. There you go. Uh, and as I talked about, the um, he's looking at these pictures, and uh, we his daughter's playing out by the pond, and we he has this moment where he spills, and we'll talk. I have notes more about this whole moment later, and like the odds and ends, and like what's going on here, sort of in the film language and the film technique. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, ultimately what happens is he ends up spilling something that gets onto this this one picture, and either the liquid that he spills is red or the liquid causes the red from the I painting think, to run. I'm not like, sure which. I think it's like whiskey okay. that he spills, so and I maybe think it's it supposed the, to be the ink from the, the ink photo. from the photo running or something yeah. like that, although if it's a slide, I thought those are basically pressed. I could be wrong. I don't know. Either way, uh, how, it doesn't really matter. Um, whatever it is, it's red liquid starts running yeah. from the uh, character in the like red blood. it looks like blood uh, but it's like coming from the character in the red jacket um, and kind of looping around and as this is happening you see this sort of dawning look of like apprehension on John's face as he he doesn't know what but it's it kind of has this premonition of um, what's about to happen to his daughter and I wanted to know if that 
because that's a very interesting setup and starts us right in on like something being in, you know not off necessarily but maybe like a little bit strange about him uh and him having some sort of maybe power or whatever mm. is that from the book no none of that is from the book okay. the short story actually starts with john and laura in venice mm, okay so, so we, yeah, we don't ahead. get any of that opening sequence with the daughter okay, okay. And that was something that I had put in better in the movie. Uh, part of what I liked in the short story was that there is this initial mystery that we know something bad has happened that has plunged Laura into this, like, deep depression. Right. So for a few pages at the beginning, um, we have this, like, well, what happened, yeah. you know, kind of mystery. But I don't think that holds a candle to how dramatic and artsy the opening scene of the film is. Yeah, I yeah, like I said, I'll talk more about that in the odds and ends. I have some notes again about sort of uh, in the film and and like with the editing and everything, what's going on. It's really interesting. But um, it's a it's a very it's honestly and I, not this is a bit of a spoiler. It was my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I f- the movie went a little got a little less interesting to me a little less sort of i feel like they used a lot of their (laughs) felt like there was a lot going on in that opening 10 minutes yeah both visually thematically and like um just in they put all their energy into that opening it it felt like they dumped all of the like uh exhaust like exhausted not i don't want to say all of their creative energy in that because again the whole movie is quite good overall and it has a lot going on but that opening you know scene is particularly striking interesting okay uh so one of the things we see a lot in the opening and throughout the movie in the opening we see it in the pond uh as well as some other places which is reflections um we see like reflections of his daughter walking around by the pond later on uh in the bathroom with the sisters and and laura we see the reflections of the sisters and her in the mirrors there's like a lot of mirrors Mm -hmm. everywhere and so we get a lot of looking into mirrors looking at reflections uh, and I wanted to know if any of that visual motif came from the book, if there's mentions of mirrors or again, I, obviously I wasn't expecting like the, the shot of the daughter walking and we see that reflection in the pond. I'm assuming that's not really translating from the book in any way, but there's other like the scene in the bathroom with the mm-hmm. mirrors could be something that came, you know, the the, the taught like, you know, seeing her reflection and stuff that could have come from the book. So is any of that th- that use of reflection something that they pulled from the book? I would not say that it is. I don't recall any mentions of like looking at anyone's reflection mm-hmm. or like any kind of emphasis on mirrors or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, there might have been, but if there was, it was not um, emphasized enough for me to notice it. Okay. So I'm going to call that the film language. Yeah. Okay. And again, I have some more notes about uh, in a little bit here. Specifically in relation to the sisters, and we'll, I think and and at this, and we'll discuss why I think they're using reflections and stuff. I, that one I was not quite as clear. I have some more, or I, I didn't have quite as solid of like sort of theories about like mm-hmm. what they're trying to say by the use of reflection in this particular instance. Um, but that being said, I do. Have, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a little bit here. Uh, does she help? So then we get to the restroom. And I just thought the scene was really funny to me. Uh, we get we're, the daughter dies. Uh, we're moving quite a bit forward here. We're in Venice now. Um, the daughter drowns, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more later. Um, but the daughter drowns, and then the um, they they're in Venice now. 
months later, ostensibly, it would yeah. seem like. And they're at this restaurant having dinner, and uh, Laura goes into the restroom uh, to help. At one point, like, I think what happens is, like, John opens a window, and the wind mm-hmm. blows in, and something gets in the eye of one of these old ladies. Yeah, I think that's And then what they happens. go into the bathroom, and then Laura goes in to, like, kind of check on them and see if they're okay. And in the restroom, these two ladies, just immediately one of them turns to the other and is like, my sister's psychic. And she's like, okay. And just the bluntness with which that line was delivered made me laugh out loud. And uh, I want to know if they reveal, if the the reveal of the psychic sister is quite so um, comical in the book. Well, Laura doesn't go to help them in the book. She does go to the bathroom, like, at the same time as them. Uh, But otherwise, yeah. They reveal to her in the bathroom that the sister is psychic. And that that she's she's, seeing the daughter. She's seeing the daughter. Okay. Okay. Uh, Back to the symbolism and recurring visual motifs in the film. Uh, The big one of the biggest ones um, is the use of water and liquid as a persistent um, visual motif throughout the film. Uh, And I want to know if that comes from the book. And then if it's not, we'll... I wonder if that comes from a book and we'll discuss sort of what I think or what we think they're going for with the water symbolism. But did it come from the book first, most importantly? Uh, Similar to the use of mirrors and reflections, I would say no. Okay. I mean, they're in Venice. So obviously obviously there are mentions of like water and canals. Yeah. um, But I I would not say that it's used in the same way that the film uses it. Okay. Um, And probably the most kind of stark example of that is Christine, because in the movie she drowns. Yes. And in the book, it's implied that she died from meningitis. Mm, Okay. So... Okay, so yeah, that definitely is the movie taking, adding, or making one of the most, you know, important events in the film and mm-hmm. tying that directly to water yes. in a way where the book does not. Um, and I, I here I think maybe the use of water and the recurring, because it's not just, obviously they're in Venice later on and then the opening, the daughter drowns, but we have um, the constant use of the, like the spilling liquids happens quite a few times. Yeah, there's a lot of spilling liquid in Uh, this. And also rain and running water and showers and just lots of water that we see in different Mm -hmm. capacities and and stuff like that. And I I don't know what you think, but I'd like to get your opinion on it and see, because to me, I I think what they're going for here potentially is... Because ultimately the story ends up being about grief and about, I mean, that like ultimately that's really what it's about is grief, dealing with grief, dealing with loss, um, that sort of thing. And I think what they're going for with the water here potentially is the water is as a symbol of sort of the irretractability of life, if that's a word. I think it's a word. I know retractability is, and I think irretractability, unretractability, whatever. That sounds like Is there a, a better word? I don't know. That? I mean, they have it flagged as a spelling error in oh. Google Docs. Well, but whatever. <laughs> I feel like irretractability I is. I like it. Um, like, the events that are done can't be undone, similar right. to how once water is spilled, you can't, you know, there's no putting it back in the bottle or whatever, um, no crying over spilled milk being like a sort of fun, playful turn on that. Um, but to me, I'm wondering if that's, sort of the direction they're going also water ultimately consumes all things like it Mm -hmm. you know it's a very destruct can be a very destructive um force and that was to me that was thematically what it felt like we were they were going for here because these events so much of it has to do with grief and regret and sort of dealing with this tragic event um and the fallout from it it felt to me like the water had a lot to do with 
how 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 desperately they they wish this thing had never happened, but it can't be undone. It is. Yeah, you know. I, no, I agree with that. Okay, I would say that that's spot on. To me, that's what it felt like. I would be interested to see if people got you know saw or right. Well, other... especially the continued use of spilling yes, liquid. That was the main. I reason think that, if yeah. it had just been like rain and the canal yeah. water i might be like maybe they're trying to say something else yeah. or something slightly different but definitely the the recurring spilling liquid yeah. to me yeah symbolizing that kind of inability to put something back once it has been done yeah. you can't undo and then and then and you have to then thus deal with it yeah and and how you deal with it is sort of what the movie ultimately ends up being about Cool. Uh, so at one point um, in, in, at this restaurant, when Laura comes back to the table, she kind of like faints. She has mm-hmm. like a... She has a, a, a fit of the vapors. A fit of the vapors and falls over and she they end up taking her to the hospital. And while she's in the hospital, she's near like the kids ward or something. I don't... Yeah. She's in a room near the kids ward. They can see all these kids playing in the hospital. And... Um, one of the kids has the exact same ball that her daughter was playing with, that their daughter was playing with in the opening scene when mm-hmm. she drowns. Uh, again, just a sort of little creepy, off-putting sort of thing, which you might not even notice. Like, it's it's subtle I'm enough. I'm going to be don't, honest, I didn't notice didn't that even, until I it, saw it on your it notes. It is one of those things that they didn't spend a lot of time, like, reinforcing or, like, focusing on. I just know, I mean, you see a couple shots where the camera's, like, only looking at that kid, but the, mm-hmm. we don't ever get, like, a zoom in on the ball or anything, you know right. what I mean? Which this movie does use quite a bit of zooms for things mm-hmm. um, to emphasize stuff. Uh, which is something I always find interesting about, like, that's a very uh, uncouth thing to do in modern cinema, but in the 70s and stuff, zooms were all over the place. All the rage. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they use them all the time for stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, it is interesting how now it's, it, barring certain specific circumstances, you move the camera, not not the lens. But anyways, it is interesting. But yeah, so I wanted to know if that, uh, if a, a kid in the hospital having the same ball is something that's mentioned no, okay. we don't ever go to the hospital in the book. Uh, Does she have a fainting attack? No, oh, okay. no fainting attack. Uh, there's never like a, a specific ball or toy mentioned that's connected with the daughter. Yeah. So none of that is from the book. Okay. Uh, we we go we move forward a little bit and we find out why they're in Venice, which is John restoring this church. Like I said, I, we, I ostensibly the church in the pictures from the beginning. We mm-hmm. would assume. Um, that maybe they had been planning this trip, or he had been planning and working, you know, uh, working on this trip, uh, coming to Venice to help restore this church. He's like some sort of, or you know, um, I don't even know what the word would be. Um, Rest- restoration. Yeah, like, uh, like archaeological or um, ar- architectural not, not restoration. Yeah, because he he does all kinds of stuff. He's like he's like one point he's like helping them like put statues back yeah. up. He's like working on. Uh, uh, he's like helping work on. Um, He's like overseeing it. He's not yes. doing the yeah, labor. He's, he's not like, like a construction worker. He's he's like he's the management. He's like the yeah the boss who has like, a degree in you know some sort of like art. He has a degree in like historical like buildings or you know yeah. like something like that. Um, and because he, he's at one point he's like they bring him a bunch of um, uh, mosaic pieces mm-hmm. and he's like he's looking like at them and them seeing and if they look right and that sort of thing. Um, Rary is really interesting to me that he has such a unique, interesting job. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, and that's my question is, is that from the book? Does he have this, this job of restoring this church? Is it that very unique, interesting, um, job? And is that why he's in, why they're in Venice? 
That is not why they're in Venice in the book. They are just on vacation. Okay. Uh, definitely something that I had in better in the movie. I, I mean, think it, the movie's version's way more interesting. It's way more interesting. For it's, a lot of reasons. I, it's interesting just... I always enjoy when a movie has somebody whose job is something really unique and interesting that clearly exists. Like, that's a real thing people do. yeah. But it's something you never see people do in movies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, people always have boring, generic jobs in movies. Like, tend to have, like, you know, they're Mm -hmm. like, if in in, in most movies, his character would be, like, an artist or (laughs) what, you know what I mean? Like, like just a generic, more, where this is, like, a very specific thing and we see him doing his job, which is really interesting. And I think it lends to the thematic um some of the thematic uh elements of the film in that he's literally trying to put this church together piece by piece sorry put Mm -hmm. this church back together piece by piece spoilers by the way the church is his life (laughs) like that's that's and it's a very small pieces too like this very intricate work that he's trying to do yeah and it seems like no one else is interested in really helping. Yeah, him. nobody else is really interested in helping, and he's struggling at it. And and at one point, he almost dies trying to do yeah. it. Yeah, like almost falls off. And it's just I I, I found that a very um, and and the fact that it's just from the movie I thought was, or you know finding out that it's just from the movie is a very clever change on their on yes. the writer's part to um to just tweak the reason they're in Venice to something that adds. Um, you know, yeah, to the it adds metaphor. so much depth to not only the metaphor but like the story yeah. and his character. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, so speaking of the church he's restoring, we end up then meeting the bishop, who I assume is in charge of this church and several mm-hmm. others or whatever. Um, and they meet him, and he's I think he's only ever referred to as the bishop. He might have a last name, I can't recall. Um, but when they meet him, uh, he 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 could not give less of a fuck about this church. Um, <laughs> And they, uh, they, they're having this conversation about it, and after they talk to him, Laura's like, it seems like he does not care <laughs> about this at all. And they're just like, he's like, yeah, it's, he's a weird dude or whatever. And I wanted to know if the, if the bishop and his lack of interest in the church comes from the book. No, the bishop is another movie ad, okay. not from the book. He was probably the part I was least... I had the most trouble figuring out mm-hmm. what we were supposed to be getting from him other than like maybe a vague critique of religion in general or something, but like very vague, but yeah, but it, cause, cause he recurs later. It like when John is dying at the end, um, like getting it, like running through the city, we mm-hmm. randomly flash back to him, like startling awake. Yeah. We randomly cut back a couple times to him. Like, yeah. Startling himself awake in bed. Like he's dreaming what's happening. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't, I had a tough, tough time trying to parse what we were supposed to be getting out of that. I was like, I'm yeah, not, I'm not sure, sure what, he, what this relationship is supposed to be. And there's also this little moment here. And obviously since the character's not in the book, this isn't in the book. Um, but I, I was going to ask about it, hoping that if it was in the book, you could maybe provide some clarity. Cause this is another question I had is there's this moment when they're walking and talking and and at one point there's this inserted very intentional close up of the bishop like throwing his arm out almost like stopping Laura from like walking forward at one he do, mm-hmm. I, did you notice this shot I'm talking no, about I it's didn't. a it's such a brief shot it's this little moment of the priest like and I'm trying to figure out what it could mean or what it is ties into and this movie had does so much with like premonition and like yeah i mean maybe he's supposed to have some kind could, of atten- like premonition yes. powers as well yeah that's very possible um and and maybe that ties into his uh, 
his lack of interest in 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 the work going on at the church is that he knows yeah. it's not going to be completed because he knows John is going to die or I don't know. Yeah, but I he, mean, it could also be just a lack of interest in like the physical world yeah. altogether. Well, that well. opening line from um, that I read for the intro is his line in the movie. Uh, the churches belong to God, but he doesn't seem to care about them. Yeah. That's his line in the movie. And I think definitely like he's, there's some, the, his character is definitely some, some sort of critique, some sort of message about religion. I'm just not super sure what it is. I had a little bit of a tough time figuring out exactly what was trying to be said there. Um, but he has a scene where he like throws his arm out in front of Laura or almost like hits her. And she kind of like startles back. And then we just move on like nothing ever happened. And it was so strange. And, and, and there's no like the camera doesn't spin around revealing like that. She almost like stepped off a, mm-hmm. into the wall. You know what I mean? Like there's no ostensibly no like obvious explanation for why he did that. And if anybody else has seen this movie enough to know like or, or has read about this, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have dissected this movie because there's a lot going on. Um, if you know what I'm talking about and what that scene is, I would love <laughs> to hear like what you think's going on there and overall just about the bishop in general because he's an interesting character and we had a little bit of a tough time figuring him out it is interesting and i'm not really sure what the message about religion would exactly be with this character because he's kind of the opposite of what we usually see in that type of religious character where he seems like he's not particularly interested in the physical world. Mm-hmm. And usually I feel like we see the opposite of yes. that where we have like the priest character who's, who's too interested yes. in the physical and, and, world. And the critique there being that like the, this, this, the, 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 um, the church quote unquote is, um, is a, is like a, a, a weird bastardization of like, mm-hmm of of like the true religion because they care too much about like physical things and, yeah. like, and 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 a critique of the church over the centuries and and the the the, the wealth they've hoarded and you know the, the wrongs they've committed and i'm using the church not just it's the catholic church here but i just mean like you know like religion and vaguely general, like religion vaguely. like organized religion in general here um is that that would yeah like i agree that's generally the kind of character you would see mm-hmm. here and so it is I, again, that's why I find him to be a really interesting character. And then the recurring moments with him, because he doesn't really come back very much other than like these cut in shots of him, like, yeah, startling awake, like at dramatic moments. And it, it is interesting. Yeah. So and if I, you have yeah. thoughts on the bishop, would love a, to hear him. Know. Would love to hear him. All right. We talked about it a lot in the prequel. And that is the love scene, the, the sex scene in this movie that was very controversial. Um, lots of drama around it, uh, lots of rumors, all that sort of stuff because of its um, explicit nature at the time or relatively explicit nature at the time. Uh, and I want to know if this comes from the book. So they, they definitely have sex in the book, but it is not shown. Okay. I'm going to read a couple lines That's here. interesting because I had read, and I meant to mention this in the prequel and I didn't. At one point I was like, oh, I have a, I have a note about that that I want to talk about and then I forgot to. I had read in one of my some of my research that the a director or whatever had just had added that scene that it wasn't in the original script or wasn't in the book or whatever, and that they had added that scene to add a um, because otherwise he they felt that the relationship between Laura and John was like too negative, like it was only fighting and like like mm-hmm. they wanted to add a moment of like, look, they do love each other, they care for each other. Let's show them being together, kind of thing. 
um, as opposed to like just like arguing and stuff. Yeah. And, and and like not getting along. And and so that was supposedly why they added it. So I found so I was surprised to hear that. Or I guess I'm not necessarily surprised. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, okay. Now, he thought afterwards, now at last is the moment to make love. And he went back into the bedroom and she understood and opened her arms and smiled. Such blessed relief after all those weeks of restraint. The thing is, she said later, fixing her earrings before the looking glass, I'm not really terribly hungry. Okay. So that actually even harkens to kind of what we get in the movie mm-hmm. um, with the getting ready. Yeah, for they're dinner kind afterwards. of smashed like, right together. Those yeah. together. And that almost feels like what we get in the movie um, because I do think, and that was, you know, there's some really clever cutting. And we talked about in the prequel that they did this partially if not exclusively initially to uh, um, avoid sem- uh, to get around censors. Yes. Um, in, in terms of cutting back and forth between them getting dressed to go out to dinner afterwards with the actual sex scene, because that way they could, they, they would show part of, you know, an intimate moment and then cut away before you could see too much or whatever um, it, that would, that would end up getting it censored. Um, and I ended up, I thought there was some clever back and forth with like matching actions of like, hips thrusting but then cutting to him putting his pant like pulling his pants on and like Mm -hmm. zipping and like kind of his hips go forward as he zips his pants up and then like her rubbing her hips and cutting to her like um putting on like doing something with her hips or uh, adjusting her belt or something like they they match cut a lot of actions in ways and match cut just means like back-to-back cuts kind of matching basically Mm um and i thought it was really interesting and and really well done and it is um Apart from the potentially uh, problematic nature of the filming of it, which we discussed a little bit in the, or at least sounding like potentially problematic. Right, there were the f- rumors about it. Yeah. Being, yeah. And the rumors aren't necessarily as problematic other than Warren Beatty being felt like getting cheated on. Like, it, but because uh, <laughs> ostensibly, if she was totally into it, them having sex, I don't care if they had sex or not, like actually had yeah. sex or not, other than like her, she's cheating on Warren Beatty, which that sucks for him. But like, <laughs> um, but I, I was speaking more about like her talking about the line where she said like she went blank and because that definitely harkens to like some traumatic sounding yes. experiences. Yeah. But it's also went on to, she was also saying that within the context of like, we didn't, nobody had filmed a sex scene like this, so I didn't really know what to do. So we just mm-hmm. kind of like let him talk us through it. So I don't know. It's anyways. Um, so, but apart from that, uh, I did think it is a very cl- critically or was uh, like a rather critically acclaimed sort of sex scene because of the way it was cut and edited together. Yeah, so I, not saying I actually liked the sex scene. It, it worked for me. Yeah. Like to me, it rang realistic mm-hmm. and didn't feel like like porn the, yeah. the way that some sex scenes in modern films can yeah, kind of like feel bad like porn, yeah yeah uh i liked the way that it was uh, all cut together um the match cuts like you said um and I, I also thought that it was a decent expansion on what's mentioned in the story um i thought it was a good way to show like their relationship mm-hmm. and connection which was what the director specifically yeah. wanted to do that scene for uh, the only thing I didn't really like about it was the 70s flute music. Yeah, you can't get away from the bad 70s sex the, music. <laughs> can never the, escape the, it. The jazzy flute is really just <laughs> it's, something. It's a thing. It's a thing. 
Uh, so after they're going, as they're going out for dinner, that after they have sex, they're um, they're sort of confronted by the hotel manager or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, are you coming here for dinner?" And they're like, "No, we're going out." And he's very disappointed. Uh, and then as they're walking out, we cut to this shot that lingers on a bunch of furniture in like the lobby, like covered with sheets and stuff. Mm. And initially, I thought we were to take this scene. Um, to be telling us that this hotel was like struggling and like potentially closing or something like that. And, and like, you know, they're like desperate for them to come eat there and yeah, like spend like their money there. Business. And, and, and like the lingering shot on the sheets all over the, um, you know, all over the furniture and that sort of thing. But ultimately we find out that, that they're actually just like closing for the season. Like, and yeah. that's what the, why it's uh, covered yeah. and stuff. Um, but I wanted to know if any of the, that element, uh, comes from the book, and then I want to discuss potentially what it might be t- trying to tell us, <laughs> like what that means. That's not something that I recall being mentioned ever in the book. The hotel that they're staying in seems like it's doing fine. Okay. Um, initially, I, I, I did think the uh, like if it was struggling and potentially closing or whatever, I thought that was going to be sort of maybe symbolism for like the, their struggling marriage or something you know, mm-hmm. and it's not particularly interesting symbolism honestly but then with it closing for the season the fact and the only reason it really matters is that they linger on some of those elements yeah the film lingers on it in a way that feels meaningful uh, you know like the shot of the covered furniture we linger on that long enough that it's not just like they don't just walk through and we see in the background that they're like closing down or whatever it's like look at this um, and then I was like, well, if they're just closing for the season. I thought maybe what we're going for here is 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 a it's more so of uh, about like the time running out on their marriage or their relationship or their ability to uh, time is running out on their ability to sort of handle this trauma together. Mm-hmm. Potentially. I don't know. I, I that seems weak to me. I'm not tied to that. It's, it was the only thing that like stuck out in my head of, of yeah. trying to figure out what what we could be intended to be getting from this i think it's also reminiscent of the way that sometimes furniture is covered for like a funeral Mm, yeah like um, in conjunction with death that's true yeah or the and and and, or in the in oh you know here's the other thing it's it's uh a foreshadow no i actually i think you're right in the sense that it's foreshadowing in the same way a lot of the other stuff is in that this is the place where john is staying Mm -hmm. and what happens when somebody dies their house all the furniture gets covered. Yeah. You know, like at the beginning of Jumanji or whatever, when they go into the <laughs> after they go into the house and all the furniture's covered in sheets and everything. Assen- essentially, this hotel is his house right now. Yes. And so I think you're right that this is actually potentially more so foreshadowing his eventual demise. I think that's, yep. I think that's interesting. I like that. Uh, while they're out after dinner, I, I think that's when this happens. Uh, they eventually, they see a little person in a red coat running around that he thinks is his daughter, or I don't know if he necessarily thinks that right away, um, but they start seeing this person in a red coat running around in the labyrinthian streets of Venice, and they're kind of chasing them around, trying to figure out where the, who they are, where they're going, that sort of thing. Um, and it's it's our first introduction to the very, again, labyrinthian nature of Venice, and that becomes sort of important later uh, as it becomes super disorienting, and I think very mm-hmm. intentionally so, um, as he's kind of making his way around the city. Does that mysterious person in the red coat running around the streets of Venice come from the book? Yes. Okay. We see that person in and, and the same two moments in the book that we do in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're like lost trying to find their restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then again 
at the very end when John is chasing that character around. Um, and it is an interesting, I want to call it a red herring, but I don't think that's quite right. No, that's not quite right. I think I'm just attached to the idea of red. <laughs> uh, but it's it's an interesting little like motif because in both the book and the movie, John is the only person at those two times who actually sees that yeah. character. Okay. So we don't like for no, sure, for sure know like real. if this is something that is real or if he is like or... grief hallucinating. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so then uh, we move forward a little bit and we uh, th- I think it's the next day and they're at the church and John's working on something and, and Laura's there watching and then she kind of wanders off and stumbles across the psychic sisters or sister, the two sisters, yes. one of whom is psychic. Um, and uh, they're kind of chatting and there's this moment where she walks up to start. They go they like walk around a corner to start talking to each other. And, and right as they get around the corner, the blind, the psychic sister walks behind this metal gate thing. It's like these metal bars. Mm -hmm. And she's like looking at Laura through these metal bars. And I noticed right away that the first two times Laura talks to, to the psychic's um, sister, um, she's always talking to her through a plane, through a barrier in Mm -hmm. the restaurant. It's through the reflection in the mirror. In in this scene, it's through the bars in, again, it's not a real barrier, but like, because it's just open. But it's it is. She's behind. She very intentionally mm-hmm. goes behind this this metal fence thing, um, and then later on, and right after this, they go and sit down on a bench, um, and they're talking. And the blind sister isn't obscured, but the uh, the other sister is talking to her from behind the blind sister, and her face is like entirely covered, yeah, almost by the blind sister's face. Again, kind of obscuring. And I was wondering if there's any reference in the book to her like talking to these characters through, I I don't know. It just, it was again, such an interesting choice. I want to know if it came from the book. Again, that's not something that I recall being mentioned. Uh, Wasn't emphasized enough for me to pick up on it. If it was, I do think that there's a lot going on here, like within with visual symbolism. Um, I think, you know, constantly putting a barrier in front of the psychic sister, we're getting that she's like separate from everyone else. Yeah, she's like on was, another plane, yes. kind of. Yeah, that was what I was getting from it when we, we through the mirror, through these mm-hmm. bars behind, like that she is, um, her existence operates sort of on a separate plane, like you said. Yeah. Of, of the rest yeah, of so us. Yeah, so there's always going to be a barrier there yeah. that cannot be crossed. Although eventually when she actually goes to the seance, that's when, yeah, that's when the, the, the barrier collide. goes away and we don't have that barrier between them anymore, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. And I also think we, you know, we mentioned reflections earlier. We talked a little bit about that. Um, and I think that's interesting because a reflection is essentially something that seems like reality, but is not. Yeah. Um, it's backwards mm-hmm. and distorted. So I think there's a lot of symbolism going on with that. Yeah. Um, you could also factor in that mirrors have long been associated yes. with with the occult, um, with as, as a like, portal to the as spirit a portal world to the whatever, spirit yeah. world or opening up to other kinds of realms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's why they cover mirrors when people die. Yep. We talked about it in, in the uh, 
Fried Green Tomatoes episode? Yeah. Isn't that where that happened? Yeah, where yeah. they cover the mirror when Iggy dies. Yeah. There's this one cut-in shot, and I don't even remember when it happens. Uh, it's like it's late- like right before the seance. Yeah, it's like right before the seance, and John and Laura are going somewhere, maybe to the seance, like she's taking him to whatever. I think it's when they're arguing about whether or not to, to go. go. Yes, and we cut just randomly quickly cut to the two sisters who seem to be maniacally laughing. Yeah. And we don't know why, and like, then it cuts like away. Like witch cackling. Like w- straight-up witch cackling. And it's we never find out why they were laughing necessarily. They are holding a picture. I think mm-hmm. one of them's holding one of the pictures, yeah, supposedly of their family members. But we never go into that too much. Are those pictures anything from the book? I didn't. No. Okay, I didn't write that down at all. I was interested. Be interested to see what people thought about those pictures and what they think those mean, um, or what's going on there. Uh, but the evil cackling—do they e- evil maniacal witch laugh in the book? No, they don't. But I, I did enjoy that moment. <laughs> okay. Uh, overall, I thought the movie did a better job of making the sisters feel like a true red herring for danger. Yeah, you truly don't know what their deal is yeah. and if they're good or bad. The whole film until the end. And I, in my opinion, they don't feel quite so sinister in the short story. Yeah. And ultimately... Like potentially sinister, I yeah. guess. I think the thing that ends up being really interesting in the movie is that they end up sort of just being not... not I, They're not good or evil. They're just sort of... Yeah, they're kind of neutral. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're not evil in the sense that at the end of the um, in the movie, the, the, the psychic one is like begging her sister to not let John leave yeah. knowing that he's going to his death. So they're at least, you know, they're not like intentionally sending to him his, to his death or anything. It, it wouldn't seem, but at the same time, they're not, I don't know. They don't particularly seem like friendly, helpful. Well, I, I don't I know. I think that harkens back to the portrayal of entities that have like premonition powers, yeah. like throughout mythology, because they often are these kind of like neutral figures, yeah. like you sort think of like about chaotic neutral. yeah, like like the oracle at Delphi yes. in Greek mythology is neither good nor bad. Yep. She's the oracle. Yes, yeah. She doesn't tell you what you want to hear. Just tells you what she tells you. It's like Galadriel with the mirror. What does she say? She has some. I feel like Galadriel has some line about. Um, Maybe I'm misremembering and applying something else, but I thought she had I mean, a line about things that were, yeah, things that's that not, are, and some things that have not yet come to pass. That's not what I'm thinking yeah. of. I was thinking of a different line, but anyways, doesn't matter. But yeah, no, I I agree. I, I think that's definitely what we're supposed to be getting from the the psychic sister, or both of them, honestly. Uh, so ultimately, or not ultimately, eventually we uh, have this moment where they they get woken up after the seance, um, where uh, now Laura has gone to the seance. She's talked to them. They've had this experience. And John's still not like down with it at all. Um, and then afterwards, uh, they're, they're they go to bed later or whatever, and they get a call in the middle of the night waking them up, and uh, that uh, from the boarding school or whatever mm-hmm. that their son goes to, telling them that their son has been in an accident of some sort. It's never something about fire. In the movie, they say something about fire. Yeah, it's like, like an like accident a, of some sort. In the in the book, he has appendicitis. Okay, in the movie, it sounds like it's implied that they were like, like. I don't know. She says something about fire exercises or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And I, I don't couldn't know. tell if it was like an accident with fire or they were like shooting guns or something. I don't I, I don't know. I couldn't really tell. Um, but he ends up getting hurt and uh, so Laura rushes home to England. And then John, I thought, was supposed to follow, mm-hmm. but instead decides to kind of or he they they're talking about it. And like uh, she's like, he's like, yeah, I'll come home by the weekend or whatever. 
Um, but it seems like ultimately he kind of decides not to go uh, and instead decides to sort of stay and like run from his his grief and not go back and, and deal with these things uh, again, sort of um, not actually handling the situation, yeah. sort of avoiding it, just shoving it down. Yes. Um, and I want to know if that happens in the book. Yes. Up to a point. I mean, yes, yes, but with nuance, uh, John does, uh, he does, the son does get hurt. Uh, Laura goes home to England. John is supposed to follow her. Uh, like immediately what happens in the book is that he sees her on the boat, like almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, so that ends up being the reason that he stays behind. Okay. Uh, So he, the first he's worried that she'll show up like at the hotel looking for him and he won't be there if he leaves. And then he's worried that something bad has happened to her after she doesn't like come to meet him. Yeah. I, I actually, when he sees her on the boat, my initial thought in the movie was that he was on his way to go home, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's ultimately what it was supposed to be in the movie. No, I don't think so. But I initially did think that I thought that he was going and then seeing that is what's caused him to stay. But I don't think that's actually what happened, but we'll, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so after he's st- like I said, he stays, he's still working on the church. Uh, and he's he's working and he goes up on some scaffolding like this terrible, terrifying, rickety. Like, yeah. All these workers hauling him up in this like like bucket of like he crawl well, he crawls out onto the scaffolding onto this like hanging platform um, so that he can look at the mosaic up there. Um, and uh, a board falls from somewhere up above mm-hmm. and hits him and causes the thing to fall. And he's like swinging around on a rope and almost falls to his death. Um, very dramatic scene. Uh, reminded me of something from like uh, The Omen or something. Uh, and I wanted to know if that happened in the book. None of that. Also, is from we get the a book. psychic warning about it beforehand about yeah, about like him. Something bad will something happen. Something bad will happen yeah. to him. But none of that is from the book. Uh, none of the scaffolding and the the near miss. Uh, I thought that was going to be like a complete red herring like, when like he we're went setting up, and, up. Like, like we're oh my setting God, up. Something's oh, going to happen. He's going to fall. Something's going to happen. A rope is going to snap. Yeah. And I was like, he's not actually going to fall. Yeah. They're just setting us up for that. But then he did. But see, that's that's the thing. If if this movie were twenty years old, like newer, you know, if this is made yes. in the nineties yeah, or two yeah, thousands yeah. or whatever, it would be a mislead. It would yeah. be a red herring. But. This is this you know it's early enough that they're there's just like nope we're just doing what you expect here. <laughs> that would be enough to send me home right away though. Mm-hmm. Though the psychic told me I was in danger and, and then, then I, I almost, almost died. Of, yeah, yeah, I'm going home. No, 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 thanks. Uh, and also, I'm not flying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we talked about this a little bit. You mentioned it that as he's he's riding on a ferry at one point, and he looks over on an on a joining uh, on a, another boat going past, and he sees what he thinks is Laura with the two sisters on the boat. Um, they're all dressed in black, um, and they're dr- driving. And he's like, "Whoa!" And he like he's like, "What is she doing here?" And then like he runs around trying to find her. Um, ultimately, this ends up sort of being a premonition of his death, of his funeral, uh, which we'll talk about at the end a little bit, but. Um, does that him? You already mentioned it, but so that the, him seeing them is is comes from the book, or yeah. thinking he sees yes. Laura with the sisters comes yes. from the book. Okay, but they aren't wearing black. No, they're not wearing black. So it's not actually a direct premonition necessarily of the funeral. It's a premonition of her like coming back for his funeral. Okay, 
but not like that they're necessarily at right because it's like the exact outfits and everything from the end of the film in this right. moment when they're actually at his funeral which plays like under the credits basically yeah um in the film uh and and we like oh that's what he saw there okay uh so he as he's looking for laura he goes to the police station and he's like you know going to them for help because he's like i can't find my wife i think she's here somewhere um and she's with these 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 two sisters who I I don't know what their deal is and he's also worried because they're this is a thing that we hadn't mentioned I was going to ask about this simultaneously there's been this sort of minimal like C plot of like them finding bodies in Venice and there's like mm-hmm. a serial killer on the loose is that from the book yeah there's okay. a murderer a is murderer on the loose, is on the loose in yeah. Venice um, and so he's worried about that and he's worried maybe these sisters have something to do with it or something he doesn't know and so he goes to this police station there's this great shot in the police station where he walks in and they send him up to talk to the detective. And when he opens the door to get to the detective's office, he walks into this hallway that is like an eternity long with like dozens of doors. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks like something out of like the matrix movie or something. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, And then when he goes into the detective's office, the detective is like behind the shot of the detective. He's, he's sitting at his desk, but there's this giant lamp obscuring his face. And he like leans out from behind it. I, that cracked me up. That reminded me of something from like a, uh, Oh God, what's the director's name? Both this whole part reminded me, um, Terry Gilliam film. Oh yeah. Um, a little bit. And, uh, super interesting. I, I think they're, I, anyway, so he's talking to this detective, um, about you know his wife and everything and i want to know if that that hallway with all the doors which i'm going to say it and immediately regret it were we going for kafka here is this <laughs> is that what this is uh maybe i mean gilliam it reminded me of something from gilliam and gilliam very much draws some inspiration from kafka at times so i was wondering if that was what sort of the again the um because the uh uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, the sort of like absurd, uh, the absurd bureaucracy of mm-hmm. like go- dealing with any sort of government institution mm-hmm. and like the absurd like uh, nature of it and, and, and visualizing that in this instance by this huge, you know, hallway of doors. There's like a million offices or whatever. And then walking into the office and the detective like weirdly leaning out from behind. the I don't know. Anyways. Roast me. I'm sure it has nothing to do with <laughs> Kafka. I've never read Kafka, so I'm wrong. But I just, anyways, uh, is any of that from the book? He does go to the police, and the, he might. Well, he might go to like the the consulate, like the British consulate. Okay. I don't remember, but he does end up like going to the police yeah. with his concerns. Uh, but I don't recall that any of that like uh, symbolism okay. was from the book. Yep. I thought that was really interesting. I, I enjoyed that. Again, it reminded me a lot, again, of like Terry Gilliam or something mm-hmm. like that, um, of just the, the absurdity of dealing with uh, bureaucracy. Uh, so another element of the film that I thought was really interesting is, and we watched this, we turned on subtitles because, uh, English subtitles, because the... Um, the sound mix. The sound was... mix on the version we watched was really annoying. Like like the sound effects, like anytime, like there's a, a match cut early where like a drill or somebody mm-hmm. scream or the wife screams. And then there's like a drill was so loud, but then the dialogue was so quiet and it was just like the, the, the dynamic range was really obnoxious to deal with. Um, yeah. And so we turned it down so that the, the loud stuff wasn't like blowing out our speakers. Um, but then I turned the, 
the subtitles on so that we could read what the people were saying whenever they were too quiet for us to hear. Um, but what I noticed is that, and I hopefully it wasn't me turning on the subtitles that caused this. I don't think it was. But our version that we watched, anytime somebody spoke Italian, there were zero English subtitles for it. Yeah. Like zero, no matter what. Even simple, like simple stuff, obviously, like whenever somebody says C, which they say a lot, you know, we most most English speaking people know that means yes in Italian. But there was like whole sentences, tons of parts where there's just no mm-hmm. English subtitles. And I thought that was a really interesting choice in the movie. And I wanted to know if there was usage of untranslated Italian in the book similar to how the movie untrans- uses a bunch of untranslated Italian. Maybe a word here and there, but nothing like in the movie. Nothing like in the movie, okay. And I was wondering if the, it, assuming that it wasn't something with our mm-hmm. movie where yeah, like, we weren't getting... Yeah, assuming that it was intentional. Yeah, that this was intentional. I, I would imagine that what we're going for here is to put us, to sort of put us in the headspace of John being completely out of his depth in a foreign country. He yeah. speaks very little Italian. Yes, like and he, it is mentioned in the short story that his Italian is not very good. Yes, he, he knows a little bit, enough mostly to like kind of relay a few things to some of the workers here and yeah. there. But like not, he knows he knows less Italian than I knew French when I went to France <laughs> for a, a, a few weeks, and I knew very little French. So like, and I could converse better than he could can in this movie. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting, and I definitely think what they're going for here is again to to, to disorient us in the same way. Uh, this movie does a lot with sort of disorienting John, and I mm-hmm. think by proxy a disorder disorienting John, and by proxy disorienting us with the the, the labyrinthine labyrinthian sort of um construction of venice and and how confusing he's like running through you know alleyways and tunnels and blah 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 and then having all these people speaking italian the whole time and in very critical moments in this part he's trying to talk to somebody he's trying to find the sisters at one point yeah and he's like and and two different people he talks to in the in the hotel or whatever that they were staying at he's like you speak english and they're like no (laughs) and it's just like Again, I think this with the the thing with the detective and the, all the doorways and all that sort of stuff is all of that is sort of amping up the disorientation, the unease that John is going through and putting it on us. And I think the best way, a really interesting way of doing that is by not translating any of the Italian so yeah, that I we're agree. just as lost yeah. as he is. No, I agree. I, assuming that that was intentional. Yeah. I think that's definitely what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was really, uh, really interesting, really clever. Because it is, you do find it frustrating, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, th- yep, that's the point. That's, yep. <laughs> yep, I, I am was like, meant to be frustrated. I am meant to be frustrated by that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so then he does finally end up finding the the sisters and talking to them, um, and and he also has this phone call revealing that uh, Laura's not there like laura is in england like he, mm-hmm. he 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 gets a call or he calls her and he ends up talking to her on the phone she's like yeah no i'm in i'm in england and he's like oh okay um and then ultimately i don't remember what it is that spurs him to leave the sisters and go i mean ultimately he goes and then he as soon as he's outside he sees the the red coated character well he knows that laura's coming back so i think he was going to like try to meet up with her well I he guess. had just talked to her on the phone but but she told him she was coming right yeah. back. Yeah, but she was still in England, so she wouldn't be back. Like, but then soon. she is back. Yeah, but I think that's implied to be 
Oh, yeah, you're right. No, she is back. Because that, that's right. He doesn't yeah. get the phone call while he's talking to the sisters. That happens earlier, like maybe even the day before or something or the or whatever. It's and a then, little while before, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think also the time not really making sense is, is also sort of intentional. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't really matter that the events track. The time doesn't necessarily track. Um, but w- whatever happens, uh, he, he goes out and then he sees the character in the red coat and he starts following her. And as this happens, the, the psychic sister is losing her mind and... Um, it's one of the most, I think, one of the most famous quotes um, from the movie is she keeps screaming, let him not go, mm-hmm. uh, and very dramatically. And I want to know if that comes from the book. So she does go into a trance during this uh, scene in the book, but she doesn't scream to, like, bring him back or yeah. not let him go. And No, I, let him not go, <laughs> is what but she says. It is something that I had in Better in the Movie initially, Uh because I think this is so much more creepy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, it's it's a it's very uh, upsetting scene. Yeah. Um. So he's he's chasing this this red hooded figure through the city, um. And, and and meanwhile, Laura is also chasing him, and we get lots more of sort of the, the confusing cuts between alleyways and, mm-hmm. and tunnels and blah blah blah. Um, and ultimately, John sees the figure run into some place, and he runs in after, and, and in order to stop this character from getting away, he shuts this big metal gate and, like, locks it. See here, he's literally securing his fate, locking himself into the futile pursuit of his daughter. Symbolism. And I want to know if that particular moment of him locking himself in to this sort of futile gesture, this futile pursuit, is, comes from the book. Because I, while while it's not... I don't want to say it's not subtle because I think it's fairly subtle. I think if you weren't thinking about it, too I, I much, think if you weren't thinking about it, you wouldn't realize but the symbolism. That being said, I think it's very, but it's also very not well, subtle. I guess that's the thing is that, <laughs> and I think that's what makes it very well done. Symbolism is is it mm-hmm. being subtle enough that it's not like you know it's this not, is symbolism. Yes, but at the same time, most people would probably, or a lot of people would would get what what we're going for here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. I want to know if that came from the book. Uh, yeah, he does shut them into a room okay. in the book. So it's not like a big gate, but, yeah, but same, same idea. Same idea, yeah. Um, and since we haven't like talked about this specifically yet, I don't think, I also want to mention that I really liked giving Christine a red coat at the beginning, which is not something that's mentioned in the book. I think it provided a really concise visual language oh, yeah. that allowed us to then associate Christine with the red-coated figure yeah. in Venice without having to over-explain what's happening in John's mind. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you didn't have that that compare, you know that that um, that similarity, that that red mm-hmm. coat, it would be much less obvious what. Yeah. What the whole I think that would make the whole theme of, of his grief and, and the being consumed by grief and this desire um, and pursuit of, uh, you know, his daughter. And no matter how much he insists, she's dead, 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 dead. He can't he's not over it and he's not yeah. he hasn't dealt with it um, no matter how much he insists he has and no matter how much he insists um, it's behind them. And so I think it would still work, but it would not be nearly as. Yeah. Like poignant as it yeah. ends up being in the film. And that kind of visual symbolism, I think, is something that you can do in a movie yeah. much more successfully than yes. you can in, especially in a short story. Yeah. Where you don't have a lot of opportunities to mention it again and again. Yeah. Uh, almost done here. Uh, so I want to know, and this is again sort of a, a broader question that's not like a specific event in the book or something that I want to know about, but. 
I want to know if John and Laura go through the same sort of inverted arcs that they go through in the movie. So in the movie, John is seemingly over, quote unquote, his daughter's death when they get to Venice. Um, while Laura is clearly not, she's taking like antidepressants or mm-hmm. something like that. And there, there's talk of how she's, you know, not dealt with it well and that sort of thing. Meanwhile, John seems to be doing fine and he's insistent like we, we, we're, we're, we're past this. We have to move on. And, you know, and, and her seeming... Uh, and then they come across these psychics, and it seems like you know she's desperate to, for for the for some sort of uh, she's like oh our daughter's still with us, and it, it seems like she's desperate for things not to be over while he is over it. Um, and then it we sort of uh, Laura ostensibly sort of talks through it with this these psychics. Like I think that the psychics aren't actually supposed to be is less so. <laughs> are less, like, actually psychics. There are psychics in the movie. Yeah. But they're less meant to represent actually, like, psychic, you know, like, dealing with your problems by using a psychic and more so meant to represent Laura literally just talking mm-hmm. about it. Because in the in the movie, there's a explicit line. It's in that moment early on where the one woman is behind, the blind woman's behind the metal grate. They're like, oh, you probably don't want to talk about that. And Laura says, no, I desperately yeah. want to talk yeah, about Laura, this. <laughs> Laura confronts it. Yes. And is able to deal with it and push through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. She literally says, no, I really need to talk about this. And so she, like, the movie is saying, like, she's actually talking about it. And and I, it's less important how she's talking about it in this instance. I don't mm-hmm. think the movie is necessarily, like, endorsing going to psychics to to talk <laughs> about your dead, your dead children or whatever. Um, but just the act of, like, actually dealing with it, like you said, whereas John hasn't. And then, so she ostensibly kind of gets over it, works through it, and is able mm-hmm. to go back yeah, to England. she goes through and comes out on the other side. Yes, literally, she goes back to England, and then is she's able to return and, and then come back, uh, whereas John is not. Um, and so they have these sort of inverted arcs where it seems like one's in one position, and then it, mm-hmm. or ultimately kind of find out that they were in the... It's not even arcs so much as, I guess, Laura goes through an arc. John's, it's, it's journeys. Laura goes through an arc. John is just revealed, like his... Yeah. He doesn't really go through an arc yes, so much his, as his, his, true, his true, true self is self revealed. Is revealed. Um, and I want to know if we get that same dynamic in the book, because I thought that was really cool. Uh, there's definitely more emphasis on John's portion of that in the movie, which I'll talk about in my final verdict. Uh, but it, it is basically the same. Yeah. Kind of uh, like he's like reversed arcs, like you said. Yeah. I also think there's interesting commentary on masculine and feminine here because at the beginning we have john who is doing the like man up stiff upper lip right don't we're not dealing with it it's fine kind of thing and laura who is quote unquote not dealing with it well yeah right she's upset she's She's emotional she's She's weak and feminine she's clearly gone to a psychiatrist or something because she's been prescribed drugs and that sort of thing yeah but we see ultimately that Laura dealing with it in a quote unquote feminine way, yeah. right? By talking through it yes. is what saves her. Whereas John's insistence on not dealing yes. with it is ultimately his undoing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's fantastic. Uh, finally, uh, his undoing, we just mentioned it. Uh, John chases the, the red figure into a room, uh, and the red figure turns around, revealing that it is a, a, a small, old, elderly woman uh, who then plunges a cleaver, meat cleaver, into his neck, and John bleeds to death on the floor. 
Yeah. With some the, very with 70s, a lot of red paint. Some very seventies <laughs> uh, Italian film red blood, which is like that. That clearly, this is not real blood. Blood. Yeah. Which it's like vibrantly it's red. Violently red. Yes. Like, it, yeah. It's it's hilarious. Um. I mean, the scene's actually very traumatic, but because like he's like spasming. It's it's, yeah. it's like very intense, but the blood itself is very yeah. It's it's classic seventies horror movie blood. Uh, is that how the movie or what is that what happens to John in the book? Basically, except in the book, she throws a knife at his throat, which is objectively cooler, in my opinion. <laughs> a little strange. <laughs> I mean, I, the cl- just hitting him with it makes a little more sense to me. But like throwing a knife, that's like a, some ninja shit. But like, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems a little like interesting but yeah no same yeah same idea i got the vibe that maybe she was like in the circus oh and uh, there's no textual evidence for that that's fair aside from like the general time period and and, being like a little person yeah the fact she's described in the book as a dwarf which i honestly don't know what the preferred terminology is now well dwarf Dwarf is preferred for people who are dwarves, I yeah. believe, but th- but not all little people are dwarves, right. I think. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and I also so, don't know what the preferred number but, is, but like, like the general time period and like that aspect of it, and then the fact that she like throws the knife, yeah, I was like, maybe this is supposed to be somebody who is in the circus, yeah, I don't know, yeah, yeah, it's it's possible, but again, that's my like just head canon, yes, guess, yeah, just guessing, yeah, not seem that seems totally possible, honestly. Um, seems totally plausible. All right, that was all I had for Was That in the Book? I have one question that I was a little confused about, so let's talk about it in Lost an Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Was lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. During the seance scene with the sisters where, where Laura goes and is doing the seance, we cut to John, who's, like, snooping around, and he goes into some building. Mm-hmm. And he's he's snooping. He later says he was snooping, or I think. And I'm not sure what or where he was snooping or what he was snooping on or who. Uh, and he ultimately, some people kind of come out of a room and he like scurries off. Yeah. D- was that in the book? Do you have any idea I, what was going on the there? The seance scene is not in the book at all. Oh, so okay. I am afraid I cannot help with this. I I also did not know what we were supposed to glean. Yeah, I was from like, what that. is happening here? I because initially not I out. thought he was supposed to be snooping on them. Yeah. While they were doing the seance, but then it didn't seem like he was in the same place. It didn't seem like it, but maybe. But maybe he, he was. was. Maybe I don't he was. know. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he was actually, and, and that would at least track in the sense of like, um, his. It, re- his, it, it revealing his inner like his inner turmoil like his mm-hmm. his his inner grief got the better of him and he ultimately did kind of want to see what was going on here because you know as we find out over the course of the movie that his his, his grief is a lot greater than he is led on this whole time and so he's sort of denying it and doesn't want to go but you know deep down he's like actually maybe i kind of want to see what you know maybe mm-hmm. maybe there is something to this and maybe he's trying to sneak in and then somebody else comes in. maybe it is a hotel yeah. Like I said, because it seems to be, and like just one of the other patrons or something comes out, and he just kind of like, oh, never mind, I'm out. That would make sense at least. I think I'm gonna say that's what it is because that at least that at least tracks. So, all right, it's now time to find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. The opening scene of the short story 
there's a, a lot of dialogue in it that didn't age well. And I, I'm glad I'm glad that that got cut. Yeah. But I did think so in this initial scene it's them like sitting in the, a, a restaurant or somewhere in yeah. venice and they're playing this game that we come to find out is something that they've always done together as a couple where they like make up dramatic backstories oh, yeah. for the strangers that are around them and in, in this case that's it's the two psychic sisters yeah they like see them and they're like making up like, mm-hmm. these wild stories about, like, who they actually are. Yeah. Um, and like I said, there's some there's some stuff in that that did not age well. Um, but I also thought that it was a good way to introduce us to their relationship mm-hmm. dynamic. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was an interesting scene because that's also something that I do. Yeah, I say like, we do that We sometimes. do that. Yeah. Um, I've done that, like, with my friends, with my sister. Um Cutting that scene also cut the title drop. Oh, the story title drop. starts with a title drop. Oh, okay. Because I was actually going to yeah. ask what the t- why. Because that's a thing that I didn't glean from the movie. I was like, I actually don't yeah. know why it's called "Don't Look Now." Don't look now, John said to his wife. But there are a couple of Damn. old girls two tables away who are trying to hypnotize me. Okay, there you go. Yeah, don't look now. There you go. But there's somebody weird behind you. That's what it comes. That's where it comes from. <laughs> Speaking of the elderly sisters, in the book they are identical twins. Yeah, they're not in the movie. No, and mm. I I understand that elderly identical twin actresses might have been kind of a tall order. Yeah. But that would have been so much creepier. Yeah. Apologies, twins of the world, but. Sometimes it's a little creepy. Yeah. To be fair, and I think part of it is it does seem like they – I could be wrong, but it seems like the actress who plays the blind sister is seems to be actually blind. Yeah, she like, looks I think like they she's actually, actually blind. Got a blind character. And if not, they got somebody who did a very good job because, like, there's little mannerisms and stuff. Like, when she's walking up the stairs at the funeral at the mm-hmm. end – Felt very realistic the way she like feels the steps and stuff. Yeah. And then apart from that, just like the way her eyes are like cater- or clouded yeah, or whatever looks very not, realistic. She's very, yeah. she, those were very good contacts, yeah. especially for 1973. Yeah. Um, my last thing in Better in the Book uh, is a line that was in the movie that was not in the book. Uh, it was shortly before the sex scene. Um, it was like the lead-in to the movie. It was like the lead-in, yeah. Uh, they're sitting on the bed together, and Laura tells John that he has toothpaste on his face, yep. and he just, he's like, "Eat it off." Blah. And I was like, "Ugh, Blah. <laughs> no, Ugh. gross! I will pass. You nasty!" I will pass. So I was glad that wasn't in the book. Yep. Yes, indeed. All right, let's find out now what you thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I really liked actually getting to see the the sisters tell Christine that they saw her daughter. Yeah. This happens off screen in the book because John is the narrator. Mm -hmm. This is a limited third person. So we followed John the whole time. Yeah. Uh, So I liked getting to see that. Uh, I also liked Laura's fainting scene. I thought that was very drama. Very dramatic, yes. The seance scene was inscrutable in the best possible way. 
Yes, I agree. I could not. Tell <laughs> I could what not we were, follow what initially what was what happening. was going on at all. But it was great. Uh, I liked that it was intercut with John, like I guess in like a hotel lobby, ringing a bell, yeah. like he's already one of the dead. Yeah, because that's a thing with seances. You oh, have a yeah. bell. Yeah. And oh if, yeah. He's definitely in the hotel lobby then. That's what because yeah. that's before he goes wandering around. He's ringing that bell. Yeah. He was in the hotel. That was the hotel. They that's have what yeah, it is. and that's okay. a thing with seances. You'll have sure. like a yes. bell or something. That's a very classic. And say, like, yeah, yeah. If there's anyone here. Oh shit! I didn't even get that. That's brilliant. And he's yeah. ringing the bell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. It was so strange. And then like when the the sister has her like psychic fit, she sounds like she's having an orgasm. Yeah, and she's like clutching like, her she's breasts. She's like kind massaging of? her yeah. breasts. Yeah, I th- I've so, for sure so, was very confused. So like yeah. strange and off-putting. Yeah. And great. Yeah, very good. I liked the scene where they're pulling the body out of the canal. That was also very disturbing. If that wasn't a person pretending to be dead, that was a very convincing. Yeah, very convincing. Dummy, or it was a dead body. <laughs> I don't know because it was very yeah, it was awful. They just happened to be dragging the canal that day yeah, when they were filming. I get yeah. Uh, there's one point after uh, John goes to the police about his supposedly missing wife, where the police are like tailing him yeah which i thought was really interesting and made sense because the romantic partner is always like suspect number one always in a missing person's case and my last thing here i liked the extra mix-up of having laura come back to venice at the very end because she doesn't come back in the book Mm -hmm. Um, but i liked that kind of it's almost like a classic hijinks but like suspenseful and stressful where they're all running around and like yeah. just missing just, each other. Yeah, just not quite catching each other. Yeah. And she's like just behind him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like she almost get catches him in time to save him, but yeah, not quite. Yep, I agree. All right, we got a few things and the movie nailed it. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Uh, We covered a lot of what I had in this section, but I had a couple other little things. Uh, Right after they meet the women, they go to a church, um, and the 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 sisters are also there. And John like rushes Laura out real fast so that she doesn't see them. I didn't get. get, I'm glad you said that because I did not know what was going on in that scene. He looks like he's playing (laughs) peekaboo. And I was actually wondering if that was intentional because he's hiding. He's hiding his face, but yeah. I, I couldn't tell who he was hiding his face from. Yeah, they're there. I didn't realize they were there. Yeah, yeah. they show up at the same church, um, and then he like comes up with an excuse to like rush yeah. her out right away because he doesn't want her to see them again. Yes, and that that totally makes sense now that you say that. I just at yeah. the time was a little unsure that that of what was going on. Uh, the psychic sister also tells Laura that John also has the gift Mm -hmm. of second sight. He's just been suppressing it. He doesn't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think we talked about this two other things already. Yes, we did. Uh, Yeah, he does call England. uh, She's there. And then They they do take the sisters into the police station. All right, so that... that But there... So uh, all long story short, a lot of things in the movie are very similar. A lot of things in the movie are very similar. Uh, This is definitely one where... The movie added rather than taking yes. away. Yeah, which makes sense with a short story. As yes. we've talked about that, that tends to be the case with short stories. All right, we've got a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict.
Uh, you mentioned Solaris at the beginning of this episode. Um, and that opening scene where we're just seeing rain on the pond immediately reminded me of Solaris. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is going to be another old movie that makes me need to pee, huh? <laughs> yep. Also, I thought the, the blue credits in the opening was an interesting choice. They don't, to me, f- particularly fit. Mm-hmm. Like tonally or th- like stylistically with the film at all, but you know it's fine. I don't know. I I, I would like I would be interested to, to for somebody if there's a reason that they're just like really generic blue, bright blue titles. Didn't really do much for me, uh, but uh, in terms of uh, but I, it's just like that's yeah that's that's a weird choice for the titles there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One of the first shots in this movie. <laughs> It was the little girl, Christine, um, and she's, like, got this, like, long, straight, bright blonde hair, and she's got her, like, red coat. She's frolicking outside, and for no reason, a white horse canters by, and I was like, oh, good, this is already the most yeah. 70s thing yeah. imaginable. Yeah, it looks like, like a Fleetwood Mac album yes, cover. That's <laughs> what it looks like. <laughs> I was like, oh, just freeze frame. That's an album cover from the 70s. Like, pick your pick your 70s, uh, you know, um, like jam folksy, rock band. Yeah, yeah, folksy rock band. That's that's their album cover. Absolutely. It was the white horse was yes. what really got me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mentioned earlier, but I did want to talk about it in a little more detail here about some of the really interesting stuff that goes on in that opening scene and why it was, to me, the most... I mean, there's a lot, lot of interesting stuff throughout the whole movie, but why the first 10 minutes or so was to me, just sort of chock full of really cool stuff. We get a bunch of really interesting match cuts between the parents inside and the kids outside. Like there's uh, this moment where uh, she asks for the cigarettes and, and John tosses her the cigarettes and it cuts mid throw to, I think one of the kids throwing the ball Mm -hmm. that ends up landing in the water. And then we cut back. And as he's to John, like does something and knocks over his drink. And that's what spills on the, um, on the, the picture, picture yeah. and then as he spills it we cut outside and it's the uh the ball like landing in the lake matched with the, the 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 drink being spilled and then ultimately the thing that was really cool is that that red liquid on the picture is like swirling up and around in a really weird way it looks like how why is it doing that yeah but like then, a really unnatural an looking unnatural way, looking yeah. way it's not just like you know it's like why would it run that way but then um we get the 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 most intense dramatic shot of the whole movie which is after john goes outside and finds her in the lake this shot of him like bursting forth from the the water this like top down shot um and her red coat is in the in this brown water is like the exact shape mm-hmm. of the the streak of the red ink or whatever on the picture which is just really striking and cool uh, and we get a classic uh, Hitchcock um, oral match cut, which is a, a match cut that is most match cuts traditionally are visually. Yeah. Like it's, you know, like it's it's um like I said, it's it's the red ink on the picture and then match cutting to the red coat in the water being like very similar stuff like that. Oral match cuts, audio match cuts, whatever you want to call them, um, is where you match cut sounds together. And we get uh John is like struggling up the beach with uh, with the daughter, um, which is just horrifying. Like that scene yes. where he's like carrying her body and like slipping inside is just the worst thing ever. Like that's again why the first ten minutes of this movie I was like Jesus Christ. Like it's like 
so much going on and so just powerful and good. But we get like him struggling forever, and then we get like a split second of um, Laura seeing it, and then starts screaming, and we immediately cut to like a drill, and mm -hmm. we're now in Venice, and it's the drill match cut with her screaming, which is really again just the way it abruptly cuts, and we jump forward is. Everything going on in that opening scene is like a masterpiece. I was just like blown away. There's also this weird moment where the um, uh, the mother makes uh, Laura makes this hand motion with her over her mouth, mm -hmm. and then we cut to the daughter doing like the same thing. Is really interesting. I don't know what that was or what. Anyways, super interesting stuff. All really great and just. I was blown away by the opening of the movie. It sounds like you could like show that in film school. You as, like, absolutely could. It's some of the most compacted, like it, it's some of the most dense, like film technique mm -hmm. stuff and like multiple different things going on. We have oral match cuts, visual match cuts, visual metaphor and symbolism and, and a, a premonition with these weird, like him, like just so much going on in that opening five minutes. It's wild. It's wild. I was super impressive. On a lighter note. Yes. <laughs> I just want to, I don't want to get out of this episode without acknowledging. Yeah, acknowledge it, yeah. That the, for the entirety, almost the entirety of this movie, basically the whole time they're Most in Most of the middle part, yeah. Donald Sutherland looks like he's trying to cosplay the fourth doctor. Yes. But couldn't quite remember what the costume looked like. Absolutely. It is so close, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got a coat and he's got a scarf. A colorful scarf. A colorful yeah. square, like square uh, And his hair scarf. is very similar, yeah. too. He's got the curly, like, like big kind of 70s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, although this movie actually predates that run, so if anything, the fourth doctor is cosplaying him. Weird choice of cosplay there, fourth <laughs> doctor. <laughs> Weird choice. Before we get to the final verdict, we want to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Support us for 2 5 or $15 a month. Get access to different things at each level. At $5, you get access to bonus content, including bonus episodes, which including Get Out, which is I'm putting out soon. <laughs> It'll be out momentarily. Sorry, a couple days late. Been busy. Um, but it'll be out momentarily. Actually, it'll be out by the time you're hearing this. I feel confident in saying mm. I'll make that happen. But it's not out by the time we're recording this. <laughs> At the $15 level, you get priority recommendation status, which is what this was. This is one of our priority recommendations. And this was a request, a request from one of our Academy Award winners, Gray Hightower. So, Gray, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Lots of fun discussion in this one. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, all those places. Go there, follow us, like us, whatever you got to do on those things, and, uh, and, and keep up with us. Katie, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. Now I'm not here to knock on Daphne du Maurier. I have only read two of her short stories. So hardly a, a good sample. Yes. Uh, and I've never read the novel that she's most famous for, which is Rebecca. Mm -hmm. So this is not an overall indictment of her writing. But I do have to admit that I found this short story kind of boring and not very scary. I, it just wasn't very interesting to me. Okay. The movie, I thought, also had a, a couple low points. It was at times also boring. Uh, and occasionally hard to follow, although that might have been uh, due to the sound mix um, and I think a little bit the editing style 
there are a lot of cuts in this movie, as we discussed, which is great, but at times hard to follow. I would not call this the scariest movie I've ever seen, but it did have a lot of subtly creepy, unsettling moments. Yeah, I would agree. It definitely, I was hoping it would be a little scarier, mm-hmm. but it definitely has a lot going. And, 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 and I've watched it, ended up viewing it, and our discussion was much less about it as a horror movie and much more about it as like an art piece, like yeah. uh, rumination on grief and yes. stuff, which is way more interesting to me anyway. So. But if, if you like subtle, creepy, and like unsettling. Yeah. You'll probably like this. I think the movie's strength over the short story lies in its expansion of John's role within the narrative. You asked earlier if John had a similar arc in the short story of seeming like he's over his daughter's death, but his inability to truly grapple with it being his downfall And it's true that that is present in du Maurier's text, but the movie greatly expands on this element by giving John more actions that are also symbolic of his internal struggle. The narrative feels much more fleshed out overall. And for that reason, primarily, I'm giving this one to the movie. All right. There you go. The movie takes this one. Katie? What is up next? Up next, we have our official Halloween episode. The official spooky season episode. And we will be talking about The Witches. The Witches. The book is by Roald Dahl. Mm -hmm. And we will be doing a listener's choice. Listener's choice. It'll it'll be quick. The poll will not be up for very long, so make sure you get your votes in. We'll be doing a listener's choice between the 1990 and the 2020 versions of this film. Uh, fun fact that I cut out of the prequel because we had not revealed it at the time, and I didn't realize when I was when we were recording the prequel, and I said it, and then Katie was like, "We haven't told that yet." Nicholas Rogue, the director of Don't Look Now, directed The Witches 1999, yeah, which or I would 1990. Have never in a million years yeah. guessed. Yeah. So uh, if if you're looking for, um, and also the writer, I believe, worked on. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah. of the writers did. Yeah. So uh, it, we're doing back-to-back um, Nicholas Rogue films, which is interesting. Well, maybe, assuming the... Uh, if we do the 99, Assuming sorry. the 1990 the version, version wins. If we don't, then uh, yes, it will be... I don't even know who did the 2020. I, I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter. The only thing I really know about the 2020 version is that Anne Hathaway was in it. Yes. Um, but yeah, Nicholas Rogue did the 1990 version. So that I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. and unique. So uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. You follow us on social media. That's a very good reason. So you can vote on all of the different platforms and let us know which version we should do. And in two weeks' time, we'll be talking about The Witches just in time for Halloween. Is it right before Halloween? Yeah. Perfect. Just in time for Halloween. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.